0: this episode of Monthly Alts Pulse. I'm Michael Sigmore, partner and co-founder of Broadhaven Ventures and founder and host of the Alt Mainstream podcast. Let's get to it. So let's make sense of what's going on in the markets right now. It impacts the alt space. There's been a lot that's been going on over the past six months with change in interest rates, things happening in the markets. What does this mean for alts?
1: I think long-term it actually portends good news for the alt space, although like many things, you gotta deal with the tough stuff before you get to the good stuff, right? And I think right now, particularly as we think about over the last couple of years when subscriptions were really booming and everybody was really focused on allocating to alts, it's different now. The rate of allocation has slowed a lot. I talked to a lot of advisors and a lot of folks are worried about locking up for a period of time particularly given the duration of these assets, they're worried about what's going to happen. And people tend to be much more conservative with their money during these periods of time. But what we're hearing consistently from advisors is the idea that this type of market, where my existing portfolio has a lot of correlation, is why I wish my clients were already fully allocated to alts. Which is why I say longer term, I think this is actually going to be a very good thing. And I think coming out of this, when we get to a place where the market is stabilized, some of the concerns around interest rates and so forth are reduced. I think you'll see people start to allocate again very significantly.
0: You have a really fascinating vantage point because iCapital was started almost 10 years ago at this point. And there was a lot of investment in education of the wealth management community on alts. Now, today, you say a lot of advisors say they want to be allocated in this space. What's been some of the differences between then and now in terms of educating the wealth community about the merits of alts? And how are you seeing that reflect today?
1: This is our 10th year anniversary. And I remember running around in 2013 and 14 meeting with advisors and everybody was interested in alts. But we had this sort of like two year sales cycle. It was a year to get people to adopt and sign up for a free platform. Then it took them another year before they actually had any clients allocate anything. So it was a really long process. And I think what's happened is you fast forward, people now really understand alts at a much different level. And the interest in allocating is real. So our cycle to onboard advisors is much faster. And the reason they're onboarding is to allocate client assets. Similar to what I said earlier, people now recognize the need for alternative investment in the client portfolios, and therefore they're wanting to make sure they have everything in place so they can serve their clients well. You talked about education, that's probably the most significant piece of how this asset class continues to grow. Because right now there's a relatively small number of advisors that actually have adopted their asset class for their clients. But to get to the next wave of advisors, you really need to make sure that they're well-educated. And that means the advisor and the clients, and that's a process. And I always tell our team, like nothing worth having happens quickly. You have to be patient.
0: So you talk about patience. It's a great segue to liquidity and illiquidity how are investors thinking about and approaching private markets when it comes to illiquid nature of this asset class and what it means?
1: I think the illiquidity question is probably for many advisors, the threshold issue that they have to get their clients to get comfortable with. I think the reality is most people have more illiquid investments than they realize in their existing portfolio, their current portfolios, their retirement portfolios, et cetera. But it's critical that people understand that These assets are illiquid assets. Now, in the QP part of our business, we've tried to create a secondary market in partnership with NASDAQ to be able to trade secondary investments the same way that institutions have that opportunity. So if you're CalPERS, if you want to trade out or or sell or restructure portfolio, there are lots of secondary firms you can call to actually help you do that. That functionality does not exist at scale for high net worth investors. We are trying to create that. We think it's really important. We announced something three or four years ago, and the truth is that over the last three or four years, there hasn't really been that much demand for liquidity, so it hasn't seen a whole lot of volume. On the accredited side of the market, it's a different thing. The structures that accrediteds invest through have a modicum of liquidity in the structures themselves, but I think it's still really important for advisors to describe these assets as illiquid. The fact that investors may be able to get roughly 5% liquidity during a quarter isn't really liquid in the way people think about investments being liquid. So you still have to market these as being illiquid investments.
0: Is it more just the safety net of knowing that there is liquidity if needed? Because I've always thought in private markets, sometimes illiquidity can be a feature, not a bug, right? I think (laughs) it totally (laughs) is a feature. I think the
1: reality is the way investors, the way the GPs, invest the money they need a long period of time to realize returns they're buying companies or investing in companies they help management teams make different decisions grow scale sell buy there's lots of things that happen during the whole period and the best managers are using that period if you will of illiquidity to really improve value it's how returns are generated so that illiquidity serves a role in terms of generating that investment performance So I think people need to understand that's a feature, to your point, of the asset class. Having said that, people have different tolerance for liquidity. And I'm a big believer that people who are uncomfortable with that illiquidity should not invest in the asset class, no matter what the returns are. I think people need to really understand what they're doing. It's the education point we talked about earlier. And they need to understand how the assets work in their portfolio. And if they do those things, if they understand the products and how they work in a portfolio, the odds of the investors making successful investments goes way up.
0: We talked a lot about the nuts and bolts of things like liquidity or illiquidity in private markets. I want to take a step up to 40,000 feet, which is really around the innovation that's been happening in private markets and how capital has been playing a role in that. So. If you think about kind of the, the arc of innovation in private markets, iCapital was initially really an innovation and in distribution. You were opening up access to a larger number of investors and giving GPs the ability to connect with a larger base of the LP community. Now we're getting to innovation in market infrastructure, particularly in post-investment. I wanna to get to a few things that you've done in that context. First, just would love to hear how you've thought about that arc of innovation at yep. iCapital and what that's meant for the market when it comes to how private markets have evolved?
1: So it's a great question, there's a lot to unpack there. What I would say though, is that we're still on the journey. So when you think about, you describe distribution to us, I might use the word access, right? Because there's a lot of high net worth advisors and investors that never really had access. And access being described as access to the right managers, because in this asset class, if you do not invest in the right managers, you're not getting asset class returns. The difference between the first quartile and fourth quartile could be a thousand basis points. So access to the right managers and then access in the bite size that works for your portfolio. If you have $5 million or $10 million or $15 million, you can't make a $5 million investment to one fund. You have to be able to invest a quantum of dollars that works for your overall portfolio. That part of the story coupled with education and automation continues to be part of the story. I mentioned earlier the fact that there's still a lot of advisors that haven't yet embraced this asset class. For them, that part of what we provided and have provided for 10 years is really critical. As we go forward, though, what we're trying to do as a firm is to do everything we can to make this asset class much easier for all the constituents in the marketplace to embrace it. That means the GPs on one hand, the advisors and their clients on the other hand, custodians, administrators, transfer agents, everybody who's important to this circle needs to have a great experience in the process. That's where we think about what's the next set of things we can add to make this better for everybody. And I'll give you a couple of examples. We talked about education, we continue to push the envelope on education. It's super important, as I said. But the next generation of education is actually a set of tools that allow advisors to advise their clients how to allocate to alts. So if you think about historically, how have advisors, how have clients purchased alternatives? Well, it's been primarily on the basis of the manager and the manager's track record. I talked about the importance of manager selection. Well, it has to be more than that because you can't buy every first quartile manager in a given strategy so what you need to be able to do is have a set of tools that allows you to understand how does this specific product work in my client's portfolio so there's a whole next wave of providing advisors tools just like they enjoy today in the 60 40 part of the portfolio to include all thoughtfully and responsibly in a client portfolio
0: it's a great segue into the flows that you're seeing iCapital is purview to so much of what's going on in private markets, given the fact that you're really the connective tissue between so many players, like you mentioned. What are some of the trends that we're seeing right now in terms of, in the current market, what advisors are most interested in investing in right now?
1: So I'd say credit continues to be important. As interest rates started to go up, many of the private credit products had floating rates. So you were able to protect yourself, particularly as inflation was on the rise. So credit's important. Secondaries, people are really interested in secondaries. Strong returns, shorter duration, because you're investing later in the game. and Really kind of mitigate the J curve. Those are two very important strategies. I think people are now starting to look at, if we get into a recessionary environment, what types of products actually do better and and work out turnaround strategies that take advantage of dislocation given economic difficulties. So I think there's a lot of interest there. And then I think also people still are very focused on growth. Even though there's not a lot of venture activity right now, I think people are still interested in finding ways of investing in growth in yeah. the private markets.
0: One thing about private markets, particularly in ventures is more of a venture vantage point, but investing across every vintage ends up being beneficial because you don't know yes. which vintages are going to be good. And sometimes when it's the the toughest time in a market is the best time to invest in that it, market because it's generally low It's prices.
1: completely the opposite <laughs> of the way a lot of people think about it, right? You know, we've got a really difficult market. Stocks are way down. Now I'm afraid to invest, which if you look back over history, some of the best vintages were launched in times of economic dislocation, a weak stock market, et cetera, because this is when the investors can actually get in it at fair value as opposed to maybe when the stock market is at all-time highs. So I think that's a real opportunity that we might have in the current vintage or vintages that we're looking at.
0: The question there, though, becomes how do the funds, which may be smaller, obviously the, the large funds, many of whom you work with, They either have their own initiatives working with the High Net Worth channel and in partnership with you, or you're enabling these platforms to better access and connect with the High Net Worth channel. But as you go downstream in the GP community to smaller funds across every asset class, whether it's private credit, venture, growth, private equity, How do you think they're thinking about this right now, and are they looking at this as a time to start working with the high net worth community and broaden their own LP base? I talked about the early days of iCapital before, and at
1: the time, it was really the larger GPs that were interested in this marketplace, this sort of high net worth LP group. I would say now virtually every manager is thinking about this channel. They're not all embracing it yet, but everyone I can tell you is thinking about it. And I think that's very exciting. We're already seeing more and more managers start to invest against the opportunity. And they're hiring IR people, marketing people, servicing people to be able to support this investor. It's a very different investor base. If you think about the institutional marketplace, you're getting, very large commitments from a very small number of investors. Our marketplace, flip side, you're getting smaller commitments from a very large number of investors. So what you have to have in place as just as an operating manner, uh, how do you market, how do you service, et cetera, how do you call capital, return capital? It's totally different. And that frankly is where I think we're able to provide a lot of assistance to people through the operational and the technology support that we give to the GPs.
0: That's a really interesting point. I recently interviewed the CIO of CalSTRS, $300 billion plan. And he had some fascinating comments on the broadening of access to the alt space, obviously understands why it's happening. But when you think about the differences that are required in terms of like, things like you say, reporting, yep. dealing with a different LP community, you're obviously enabling that to happen, but I'd love to hear your response to him saying, hey, look, maybe this is a little tougher for us as an institution because we're no longer the only LP that necessarily matters to this large GP. How do you think about that, given that you're focused on a different community yep. and why is this a good thing for the alt space? We
1: definitely understand the unique access that institutions have had to these assets but the reality is that for the same reasons that institutions want to own these assets they're every bit as relevant for high net worth investors compounding not having all correlated assets you know there's any number of reasons returns etc and they're all relevant to high net worth investors and so that means that the GPs have to be really thoughtful about how do they structure their products for this unique marketplace relative to the existing marketplace that they serve. And by the way, both are huge. If you look at the BCG report on the size of the wealth community, it's almost as large as the size of the institutional community at $150 trillion, right? So it's perfectly reasonable for a GP to say, both markets are important, I need to structure the way I deliver my products to these two different markets uniquely to how they invest, what they need, et cetera. Nobody should be surprised at that. That's just smart. And over time, both will provide significant capital to the GP community. I don't think that any of what's happening in the high net worth space is going to crowd out Any institutions have been a very critical part of this asset class forever. They will continue to be, but so too now will this new asset class or this new investor base of high net worth investors. And I think it's good for the market.
0: And now the innovation at the technology layer is enabling that to happen because you need the technology infrastructure to create the possibility to give the investors access and the GPs the ability to handle all those investors and all of that.
1: Absolutely, and by the way, when you think about the high net worth space, where you have a large number of standard transactions, technology plays a very clear and obvious role. If you look at the institutional marketplace where you have a smaller number of non-standard transactions, you have different side letters, et cetera, technology isn't universally helpful across that value chain, but it is helpful. And I think that over time, we're already doing this in our business, we're helping institutions or helping some GPs actually manage institutional subscriptions, I think over time, there's a significant enough standard part of an institutional subscription that more of that can be automated as well. Not the whole thing, but tools to automate institutional subscriptions, I think will be an important addition to our business in the future.
0: One of the interesting things about FinTech innovation more broadly, not just related to alts or private markets, but I think certainly true to this space is that innovations at the consumer layer in FinTech have then gone upstream to the institutional layer. And and there's a lot that can be learned from both sides. It's not just institutional experience on down, it's consumer experience up to the institutional layer, which is fascinating.
1: I agree with you. I'm gonna make one comment though because I wanna make sure our definitions are right. You mentioned consumer. Nothing that we do is going directly to consumer. And I'm gonna talk about that for a second if I can. We believe that in a complex asset class like Alternatives, we talked about education, we talked about tools, advisors play a core, a central role in helping their clients make smart decisions about how to invest or if to invest yep. in this asset class. And so our business is completely focused on giving advisors the tools they need to be successful. That is essential, I think. And I think it's really important because in the end, If this space is truly to scale and stay on the track that it's on, the only way for that to happen is investors have to have a great experience. And as I mentioned earlier, that means they have to understand the products they're investing in, and they have to understand how to incorporate those products into their portfolio, and they have to have a set of expectations around how those products perform in the portfolio. If those things are true, then investors have a really high chance of being successful in the asset class. We think advisors are core for that to be the case.
0: Absolutely, totally agree that understanding that customer base is so important and understanding the relationship between the advisor and the end client, while not the consumer, ends up being really important. So I wanna end this episode with final question. What was your favorite quote this month?
1: Favorite quote? This is something we, my wife and I are big fans of Succession. And I will say there's a spoiler alert here because there's what I'm going to, my favorite quote actually might give away some of what's happening on Succession. But Kendall Roy made a comment, their, their father, Logan had just died of a heart attack and he was with his brother and sister. And he said, what we do today will be the thing that we will always have done the day our father died. And we were watching that and I said to my wife, I was like, wow, that is really profound. And if you think about it, what you do every day is the thing, in that case, it was a particularly profound event, the death of their father. But what you do every day is something that you will, people will always remember. And you step back and you think about that, you know, what are you doing today? And are you proud for people to remember that? I was taken by that because it's always something I have in my head. We used to call this the Wall Street Journal test. If you are in a meeting, if you say something and so forth, would you be proud
0: for that to show up on the first page of the Wall Street Journal? So anyway, I thought that was a profound quote. It's a great way to put a bow tie on this episode because it just covers so many aspects, company building, investing in alternatives, which you invest one day but 10 years later, something may happen. Illiquidity, which we talked about, just general life, about evaluating people, which is so much about what alts is, right? Investors are evaluating managers and what they do today, but it's really what they might do in 10 years, but what matters is what they do today. So that's a great Great. way to end this episode. Great, thanks,
1: Michael. Appreciate it. Thanks for
0: coming on. Thanks for listening to the first episode, the monthly alts pulse. Excited to see you next month.